Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I am absolutely delighted to have our guest today. She is the perfect example of somebody who deals with grief and happiness and has just made a wonderful things happen in her life. And I always like to encourage people who are dealing with grief to recognize they can be grieving and be happy at the same time. And Bevan is just going to be a wonderful inspiration to you of dealing with kind of the unthinkable and just going full out after that and and, uh, doing some amazing things. So welcome, Bevan. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I think this is such an important conversation. Um, I even I love the title of your book of living and loving or loving and living through grief. So I'm really excited to explore this today. Oh, thank you. Can you tell us about the situation that led to everything now that's happened in your life? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, you know, what you talked about before I even dive into that, what you talked about, about being happy through grief. My father passed away. This is not the foundation of my business, but my dad passed away when I was 24. And I remember my sisters and I were having dinner like after the funeral with my uncle and we laughed about something. And we looked at each other like, are we allowed to laugh? Are we allowed to be happy when our dad just passed away? And so that taught me pretty early on of how we can hold multiple emotions at the same time. It didn't invalidate the grief we had for our dad, but it it kind of honored him that we wanted to have some happiness in our lives as well. So the foundation of the work that I do started in 2019 when my husband surprised me, his name's Mark. My husband surprised me with a trip to France for my 40th birthday. He told me six months in advance so that we could plan because we had two very small children. We had a four month old and a two month, or sorry, four month old and a two year old when he told me this. And so we planned this trip. And, and during that time I got laid off and we were like, is this crazy? Should we not even go on this trip? It's, it was going to be a whirlwind. It was our first time away from both kids. So we were going to be on the ground in Bordeaux for 39 hours, which is about how long you have to be in a plane to get to and from (laughs) Bordeaux. So it seems totally crazy. And even the day before we left, I was like, this is, this is crazy. Should we just not go? And we went and we had an amazing time. We reconnected with who we were as a couple before we got married, before we had kids amazing wine, delicious food. We wandered the city. It ranged the whole time and we didn't care. We just wanted to be together, which was, it was wonderful. We came home and it was Thanksgiving week. So Mark had taken the entire week off work. We did stuff around the house. We took our two-year-old daughter to her first movie theater show. We got ready for Thanksgiving. It was pre-COVID. So we're having like 20 people come for Thanksgiving. It's always been my favorite holiday. Had Thanksgiving with our family and our friends. It was wonderful. And then the next morning, Mark just didn't wake up. He passed away in the middle of the night, 
completely unexpectedly. Some people will ask, oh, was this trip like a last hurrah? It was not. We had no idea that he was sick, that he, um, he had undiagnosed heart disease. So one of his arteries was 95% blocked and the other was 50% blocked. No indication of this at all. So now all of a sudden I am a solo parent of a 10 month old and a two and a half year old. I had, when I got laid off, I'd started my own business. I was an entrepreneur, so now sole financial provider and without my best friend and truly like the love of my life, my biggest cheerleader beside me. So everything was flipped upside down and I posted about it about a month later on, on Facebook. And I said, I said, I didn't really talk about my birthday this year, but you know, they knew we'd gone this trip. They knew Mark had passed away, but it was like, it didn't really talk about it, but I want to share. And I said, you know, I'm so glad that we went on this trip together, that we had this adventure. And whenever you're faced with the choice, just take the damn trip. And that resonated with people so much. I got so many messages people reaching out and saying, oh, you know, I did that. I took the trip before my dad passed away or man, I wish I had done that or wow, now I'm going to do that. And so I didn't know what it was going to be, but I knew it was going to be something. So I bought the URL that night, take the damn trip. That's going to be something. And as it unfolded and people reached out to me about it, I looked back at the hardest things that I've been through in my life. So losing my dad, which I mentioned, lost my grandmother, all all three of my grandparents, but my grandmother in particular, when I was 16, lost my home in a house fire in 2010. (laughs) I've been very open about the fact that my kiddos are IVF babies. I've been through years of fertility treatments and a miscarriage. And then also the amazing things that I've created of creating a six-figure business, you know, in less than a year. And having these incredible kiddos and building our dream home after the house fire, all these things. And I said, what is it that I do differently, not better, but just differently than some other people that allows me to navigate these things with grace and creativity, if I do say so myself, but like that allows me to navigate these things. And that's how I came up with the damn framework, which does mean something. I'm not just a little sweary. (laughs) So I'll say damn a lot, but it does mean something. And so that's where it was all born. And so I have this take the damn trip movement, which is a community of, you know, committed action, ambitious, ambitious action takers who really want to connect with the people that they love and do the crazy thing. But I also have like a mastermind on growing the damn business and, so it's it's become this whole movement around this damn framework. It's so amazing how you can, uh, it's so many people that, that I deal with, when once they get into grief, they just keep holding on to it or going down from it. And yeah. with me, I had a, a similar experience in that since I've, I've had two husbands die, and after the second one died, I thought, okay, what do I do now? And so I started thinking about what I didn't want to do. (laughs) I didn't want to sit there and be sad for the rest of my life. I wanted to to find meaning in my life was something significant that I could do. And that's what's led me to this work. And I I just, I love doing it. And I I can see your passion and what you're doing too. Well, and I like to be really clear about the fact that like, I didn't wake up the morning after Mark died and be like, oh, I'm going to start a movement. Like mm-hmm. I very much grieved 
and I still grieve. Some people have been like, oh, you didn't have time to grieve because you're a solo parent. I'm like, no, I've grieved. And people have said, oh, they wouldn't. <laughs> I was like, it never really occurred to me to just curl up and not get up. And people are like, oh, you totally could have. Nobody would have blamed you. And I'm like, yeah, it just didn't occur to me because I wanted to take care of my children and I wanted to continue participating in the world. And sometimes having that work to do was a, was a good distraction. We still grieve. My daughter, who is now four and a half, she was old enough to understand that she lost her dad. And my son was only 10 months. So while he knows who daddy was and we see he has pictures, we have pictures all over the place. He didn't really have that same experience. And so my daughter, even two days ago, was putting her to bed and she got upset about something and it triggered into this. I just miss daddy so much. Like, when is he coming back? And talk about heartbreaking for a mom, right? And so she really went down a rabbit hole that night. A lot of times she'll say she misses daddy and we're able to talk about it, but she just got hysterical and said, only daddy could come up into her bed. I wasn't allowed to come up into her bed. And we talk about how it's okay to be sad. And we talk about how it is her and my very important job to share the stories of daddy. And so we just, we, you know, I let her be sad. And I said, is it okay if I come up now? And, you know, she's like, no. And then a couple of times she's like, okay, yes. And I was like, can I give you a hug now? Can I give you a hug from daddy? So like we grieve. It's just that I don't judge that emotion. I don't think it's a bad thing to be sad. I don't think it's a bad thing to be happy. I think we can hold all these emotions at one time and honor the people that we love through those emotions. I, I totally agree with you. I'm with doing the work that I do. I've got grief and happiness on, on everything. It's the, the name of the podcast. It's yeah. a, um, one create have created the grief and happiness Alliance. On, that's an online group where people get together and we write together and we do happiness practices. Yet often when I say something about grief and happiness, they look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> and they say, how can you grieve and be happy at the same time? That's just not possible, but it is. Yeah, because I don't have to be happy that my husband died. That's right. I'm not happy that he died. Like, I'm not a Susie Sunshine girl who thinks everything happens for a reason. I mean, at least not a good one, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you're not going to convince me that that there was a good reason. Even when people say, oh, but you created this movement. And I said, look, if I had to choose between giving the movement up and having my husband, I would a thousand percent, like, get a job as an accountant, right? In order (laughs) to have my husband back. So it's not, I think that's where people get confused. It's not happy that you're grieving. It's not happy that something has caused you grief. It is that you are allowed to grieve and be happy at the same time. That's right. That's that's really right. I, I've had uh, other comments that people have made is about me having two husbands and saying that, you know, I'm grieving them both. And they go, well, how can you love two people at the same time? And I said, well, how many children do you have? <laughs> you <laughs> how know? many parents do you have? Do you only love yes, one of them at a time? That's right. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, there's just no logic in that. But somehow people, I think they just aren't really thinking before they say comments like that because it just doesn't resonate with them. 
Yeah, they don't know what they don't know. I found that a lot with with IVF and with miscarriage, a hundred percent, that people would make incredibly insensitive comments. And and you know, going through those processes are there's a lot of grief in there too, Mm -hmm. right? There's grieving when you realize you are going to have to go through fertility treatments. There's grieving, obviously, when you have a miscarriage. There's a lot of grieving. And I had people make very insensitive comments when I would talk about my fears around it. Like, oh, well, just then just adopt. First of all, like that's a super easy process. Like that's going to the grocery store. No big deal. But also, (laughs) right. But also the grief that as a woman that might, might bring up. And they also didn't understand the real process of IVF and, and the, appointments and shots and hormones and money and all that stuff. And and then when I've had friends subsequently go through IVF and then call me and say, I am so sorry that I was not there for you more that I, I didn't know. And so the same with my husband passing away, right? Like, oh my gosh, if I could (laughs) have a friend who's going to, who wants to write a book about things not to say, when grieving. And she said, she's going to give me half of the book (laughs) because some of the things that people said to me after losing my husband at the age of 40, I just couldn't even believe it was coming out of their mouths. Like, how could you think that that was comforting? And so, but they don't know. Right. So I tried to try to give people grace and be like, Oh, I want to believe they're doing the best they can and coming from a place of love, but oh, that one hurt. That one was yeah. hard. Yeah. I, I find myself just kind of backing off a little bit from the situation because it, it just, it gets, it gets really painful when, when people say things like that and they think they're saying the right thing. I, I don't know about you, but one thing that always bothers me is when somebody says, I'm sorry for your loss. And that's, that's such a common thing for people to say now. And it's become like, how are you? Or have a nice day. They, they feel like they have to say something to you, but they really want to talk about what they were going to talk about. So they, yeah. they just a kind of like you know, sending you my thoughts and prayers. I'm like, oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I guess I find my, I, yeah, I guess I find myself like, so if I have somebody who does, I, I guess it depends on the situation, mm-hmm. right? If somebody that I know not very closely has lost somebody and they like post about it on Facebook, I will tell them like, I'm sending you so much love. Mm-hmm. And if I know them, I will probably send them a message behind the scenes. It's like, is there anything I can do? Because people don't want to ask that. They're like, they're just, they worry about overstep. I ran into somebody yesterday who's like, I didn't know you well enough to reach out after Mark passed, but I just, I was thinking of you. And I was like, I appreciate that. Like you could have reached out. That would have been fine too. But I also, so I, I want people to know, yeah, I guess I, I, I am sorry for their loss, but more importantly, like I'm sending you so much love Mm -hmm. because it's hard and because it's so often unknown territory that they're navigating and they don't need my sorry. They don't need my pity. They need my love. Mm -hmm. Right. And I've, you're asking so many questions I've never even thought about before. So, oh. <laughs> so like new things I've never thought about. 
But the other thing that I don't know if this drove you crazy, but it did drive me crazy is people would be like, well, what do you need? What can I do? Mm. I'm like, I don't know. I can hardly breathe. Yeah. I need to not answer questions right now. <laughs> right. I don't, I can't, please don't make me responsible for making you okay with the fact that I'm grieving. Mm-hmm. And so I would often recommend to people who are like, how do I, like my friends, whoever, my friend's parent just died. What do I do? I say, look, a <laughs> couple things. One for by all means, reach out and say something to the effect of, can I bring you breakfast or dinner? Like, can I give them a choice? Like, mm-hmm. Do you like chicken or pork chops? Cause I'm bringing you something, you know, and to just give them a choice, like make it easier, but then wait a month and then reach out again, mm-hmm. because that was one of the hardest things. It still is the people who have just disappeared has been really yes. hard. That, oh, that is so common. Mm-hmm. My husband, Jacques and I, my first husband who died, were together for 22, or married for 22 years, and we were real prominent in the community. We we knew, like, I, I never felt comfortable going to the grocery store in my grubbies, you know, because I knew that I was going <laughs> to be gonna know me. running into people. <laughs> so it was, it was that kind of community that there were so many people. And when he first got sick, people were all over the place. They'd come to the hospital, they'd come to the house, they'd bring things, uh, flowers, yeah. books, uh, you know, all, all kinds of different things. Love to spend time talking to him. But then he stayed sick for too long. Yep. And the newness wore off. And mm-hmm. they came less and less. Until the celebration of life that we had for him was jam-packed. There were all kinds of people there. And when that was over, they were all gone. And here I thought I had all these friends. We'd spent the last couple of years of his life essentially by ourselves until a friend of mine came and stayed with us to to help. But nobody else was calling to see how he was doing. It's like, like to them, he had kind of died already and they were moving on. Because he wasn't the person now that he was before when they knew him. Right. And that that was was really tough. And then especially after the celebration and it's like, I'm still here, you know? Yeah. I mean, I had a friend of mine who is also a widower. It was shocking. His wife passed away maybe six weeks before Mark. Hmm. And also she was 39, completely unexpected. And I remember hearing the story and talking to him after she had passed away. And I was like, oh my God, how devastating. Thank God I've never had to go through that. And then Mark passed away and it was just like, oh my goodness. Like, and he came to Mark's celebration of life and was like, okay, so just so you know, it's going to be crickets now going forward. I was like, oh no, 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 no. Look at these hundreds of people here who are here to celebrate him. Like they're not going to disappear. He made such an impact on their lives. And then they started to disappear. And then I just had this conversation. It's been almost two years since Mark died. And I just had this conversation with a friend of mine. And I said, I'm, I'm really hurt that some people who I thought were our friends were Mark's friends. Totally fine. But it hurts because I thought they were our friends. And especially, I'll be completely honest, I don't feel like my kids have a lot of male presence in their life because they have me, they have my sisters, they have our nanny, like all the women, strong women. I'm totally fine with my kids being raised by strong women. (laughs) Totally fine with it. 
they don't have a lot of male presence in their life. And it, it, it hurts me that Mark's friends don't want to be that presence in my kids' lives. Even if they consider themselves Mark's friends and not mine, these are Mark's kids. And I, I said something to my, my friend about this and she was saying, well, yeah, you know, I know some of them are like, I would do anything for Mark. And I said, yeah, these are Mark's kids that should continue. And so I have just also had to, even when I'm upset about that and sad and frustrated and hurt, then I have to decide, okay, well, how long do I want to stay focused on that? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And can I tell your listeners my other little adventure that I've been on? (laughs) Yeah. I would love for you to. Yeah. I mean, we talk about like living through grief, right. And, and happiness and grief. And I think, you know, we have to make choices about that. And so Mark and I were 60 days away ish from doing our third round of IVF to have another child when he passed away. And I've always wanted three kids. Um, I'm the youngest of four. I knew I wanted a big family. And so I didn't think it was fair, not that any of this is fair, but I especially didn't think it was fair to lose that dream in addition to losing my husband. And so in 2020, I followed my own damn framework again. I like went through the process, which is I decided and declared, I stayed present, I attended my own party, I chose moments over minutes, and I said, now is the time. I went through that whole framework and I decided to move forward with IVF as a solo parent with the embryo. You may hear my children screaming in the background. Like that's great. (laughs) (laughs) I decided to move forward with IVF with the embryos that Mark and I had frozen before he passed away. And so I now have a four and a half year old, a two and a half year old and a three month old. And just, you know, people had a lot of opinions about that too. And I just it was another part of Mark that I could bring into our lives and into the world. And it was, yeah, it was not, I mean, it was born out of grief in that like I was sad and I was hurting from losing my husband, but it was actually more born out of this wanting to live fully and wanting to honor my own desires and honor the things that Mark and I had talked about before he passed. And so, yeah, she's amazing. Her name is Maristella, which means miraculous star, because she is a little miracle and she's amazing. Oh, that, that is so beautiful. I don't recall ever hearing of somebody doing that to, and I just think Funny it's story. amazing. Okay. <laughs> I had never heard of it either, but it is now the storyline on two television shows. Really? It's the, <laughs> yes. I have been shocked. I, so totally shocked. It's the storyline on Virgin River where the husband who passed away was also named Mark. So it feels very creepy. That's right. And it was just the storyline on Grey's Anatomy like a week ago where this, I mean, and I'm like, I, I saw both these shows and I was like, this is not a common occurrence. Like, how is this the storyline? So I agree with you. I'd never heard of it either. Um, but it, it, apparently uh, the writers have. <laughs> Interestingly, I, as soon as you said that, I saw that Virgin River and I saw that Grey's Anatomy and I just didn't register with me that I had already seen that. Yeah, it's so bizarre. When I saw that on the second one, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> but yeah. yes, no, it's not a common occurrence because a lot of times people who lose their husbands or their partner 
don't have that option. Mm-hmm. They don't have frozen embryos. They don't have frozen that's sperm right. to make embryos. They're just like, they lost their partner and that's it. So I was in, then I never say I'm a fortunate, but like I was fortunate that I had that already mm-hmm. available to me, that option available to me. Yeah. It's wonderful. And wonderful that you took advantage of it. And yeah. I know I, I was just thinking that I don't think it's attraction so much as awareness. I, I know many years ago, I brought a, bought a car that was kind of this bright yellow, orangey, orangey color. Yeah. And I, kind of surprising to me that I bought it, but I thought, well, I'm, I'm getting this because nobody else has a car that color. As soon as I got you it. You see all the other <laughs> Every place. So it, it's that sort of a thing. Once you have an experience, then it, it opens up an awareness in you that uh, it's not that you're attracting it, but that you're noticing when things happen that, that you thought were uncommon or that you thought right. I'm the only one that has to deal with this. And it's not necessarily so. Yeah, I think it's called like Pareto's principle or something. I don't know. It's it's there is a name for it. Where oh, all of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden you start to see all of like you buy a car and then you see all of the same car, or like mm-hmm. you decide you want something or something happens in your life and then you start to see it everywhere. So you're right. I mean, and it's not because all of a sudden they made ten thousand more bright no. orange, yellow cars yeah. because now your, your awareness is open to it. Yeah. So, yeah. There's, there's so much that we become aware of that we just never thought about before we're, we're in this position. Right. And it, opening up that awareness kind of opens up your life. Like with me yeah. becoming aware of it's okay to be happy. Mm-hmm. That that I didn't have to play a role of a widow. I know in some cultures mm-hmm. that I, I directed a play once called The House of Bernardo Alba, which is a Spanish mm-hmm. play by Yorca. And I think I said that wrong. But in that play, <laughs> it was about a mother who had several daughters and her husband died. And their tradition was to all of them put on black and stay in the house for the yeah. rest of their lives. Yeah. And I think we've seen things along that line throughout our lifetimes of, of what somebody else has done when they've grieved. And at that time, we weren't looking for an example of how do you do this? Because yeah. there aren't direction books <laughs> on, right. you know, follow these steps and then you'll be over it. it it's not, that's not how grief works. So I also think it's so unique. It's such an individual Mm -hmm. process and experience. I have had, I mean, people like should all over you, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. like, oh, you should do this and you should, you know, this is how you should grieve. Even people who were grieving Mark Mm -hmm. would would tell me like, oh, you should do this. And, or... (laughs) where it's like everybody has a different had a different relationship with him. I was mm-hmm. his only wife. I mean, he had he had actually been married before, but like that was his ex-wife. Like yeah. I was his only wife, right? And his mother is his only mother and his brothers are his brothers. And like everybody has a different relationship with Mark. I grieve very differently than his mom and his brothers and and all that. And I think that's the hard part too is letting people grieve 
in their own way and letting yourself grieve in your own way. There's a really great book called The Hot Young Widows Club by Nora McInerney, which my sisters were like, we were hesitant to buy that for you. We thought it might be too soon to use the word widow. Um, it's, It's a really... I mean, even anyone who's grieving, it is such a good book on grieving. It's the best book on grieving I've read of just talking about like grief vultures and all the things. And so it is, it's such a personal experience. And yeah, I'm glad you didn't. I love that you're wearing a yellow top right now. Like people can't necessarily see you, but I'm glad you're not wearing black and hiding in your house. Yeah. It's, it's, it's powerful experience. And I think too, one of the reasons that I was able to stand up and move forward after Mark passed away. Well, one thing was I said, okay, my, my priorities are my children, like keeping my children safe and healthy, keeping myself safe and healthy and keeping our home because we had built it together. And so in order to make all of those three things happen, I also needed to keep my business running. But I think that part of why I was able to see the potential of the impact that this would have on people is that I had done a lot of this type of work throughout my life and my career around self-exploration and awareness. And, you know, I'm trained as a coach in what's called the three principles of thought, mind, and consciousness. So I had, and maybe because my, when my dad passed away, I did a lot of this too. Like I had been through experiences that had kind of opened the door to what might be coming. So I I guess I want to kind of offer that to people who might be listening, who are experiencing their very first grief experience, grief situation. And if they're feeling like they don't know what they're supposed to be doing, and maybe they feel drowning and lost just to say, you're not doing it wrong. You're just, you're, you're a novice at it. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay. Like everything you're doing is okay. Don't let anybody else tell you it's not. It is That's okay. Right. <laughs> you're on your own path for doing what you need to. I know after Ron died, I kept thinking we we only lived here in Maui for two years before he died. And I, so I didn't know a lot of people because I was mostly spending those two years with dealing with what he needed and, and spending, making the most of our time together. So I I thought, okay, now what do I do? And I thought I could go to a grief group. Hospice had invited me to theirs. And the more I thought about it, I thought, I don't want to go someplace else where there are people who are sad and crying because I'm not sure how I could deal with that at this point. And then I heard of of something called the Death Cafe. Hmm. And I had never heard of it before, but somebody that I knew told me about it. And she said, well, I'll, I'll go with you. Let's, let's go. And we did. And it was amazing. <laughs> I found out that they've, they've got them all over the country. I think even some international death cafes too. So you can Google it and see if you've got one in your area. And yeah. their tradition was to eat cake at the death cafe. But we I love didn't, it. At ours, we went to a Mexican restaurant and had guacamole and chips. And I would just want a margarita. Yeah. yeah. Well, we had margaritas <laughs> and beers and <laughs> cerveza. Yeah. yeah. So we, we did uh, that. And it was so interesting because we had a, a variety of ages, all different circumstances, and we could like exhale 
you know yeah we, we could talk about what we wanted to we could smile there were there were two women there that that were kind of I, I just resonated with to start off with and it ended up that we had this interesting thing in common with the the number 222 is the the first one said that her husband's I think her husband's birthday was 222 02 whatever it was anyway it had I think it was February 22nd so it was 222 mm. the other one's husband died on 222 February 22nd and I said well you know what my address is 222 <laughs> and it just it was the awareness it was like your orange car your yellow car yeah, like that's all right. of a sudden that number yeah and just just by by recognizing an inconsequential commonality yeah it gave us a stepping off place to talk yeah. And we did. And we had some really great conversations and stayed in touch after the, the meeting was over. And it was such a, a nice, different approach to it. And also, yeah. I did uh, a lot of writing. I'm a writer. I've taught writing at the university for many years and have written college textbooks. But I hadn't written anything like, like this book before. But the more I was writing in my journal and exploring my thoughts and doing things like that after Ron died, I thought, you know, I bet this would help other people too. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, I didn't know anybody on Maui and it was before the pandemic. So I went on Meetup and I formed a Meetup group and yeah. said, if you want to learn how to write during grief to help you feel better, come on over to my house. And they did. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> all, yeah. all people that we didn't know before, but we had this common thread. Yeah. And we became really close. We, my intention was to have it meet once a month. And after the first couple of times, they said, that's, that's not often enough. Can we meet every other week? And it. we did right up until the pandemic. And it helped us all so much. Had great yeah. bonds. Again, everybody had a different kind of grief that they were dealing with. Yeah, but I I love just allowing yourself the the freedom, whatever it is, there to just do what you think is going to benefit you at that moment. Yeah, yeah. So I agree. I think a lot of people when they heard that I had lost Mark, reached out and were like, "I know another widow. You should talk to her." And I, and I appreciated that in like a hey, there might be some things to navigate, like mm-hmm. social security and yeah. life insurance policies, like that kind of thing. And I, when I hear somebody has lost someone, I'm like, hey, I've got a checklist that my financial guy sent me. Like, Let me send it your way. But I think forcing the commonality, like forcing, hey, we both lost our husbands, we should be besties yeah. is, is not, it's not realistic. So no. I, I love that you found found it. Um, and I do have some friends who are widows who I will like connect with occasionally, but I did find a group that was, I didn't go very often because again, the pandemic, but um, it was for young widows and widowers, which I felt was actually very good for me because it was dealing with things like mothers-in-laws and fathers-in-law, you know, grieving with children, grieving while well, all those things. So I think what I would say is, explore what Mm -hmm. might support you and give yourself permission, give yourself permission. Don't ask anybody else for it, but give yourself permission to not go. If it's not a fit, like to say, you know, I don't want to go. Like they are all crying. I don't want to go to that one, but also don't give up on looking for support communities because one sucked. 
Yeah. So, you know, like good for you for not going to one grief community and being like, everyone's sad here. I guess there's no community for me, but continuing to look and then finding this death cafe and enjoying it and sticking with that. I think that's, that's what people eat. You can't give up on fruit just because you don't like bananas, right? Yeah. That's a great example. (laughs) So, and that's one. So the difference between permission and support is actually part of my framework. So we go through life unconsciously asking for permission, you know, like I'm thinking about starting a business. What do you think? I'm thinking about getting back out there and dating after I, you know, after I lost my husband, do you think I should think about moving across the country? I'm thinking about starting this meetup. Like, what do you think? And when we ask it like that, people you're unconsciously asking for permission and people kind of try it on for themselves. And they think, Oh man, if I lost my husband, would I feel comfortable having this meetup group? Oh no, I'm an introvert. It sounds like it sounds awful to me. So when they're not comfortable with it for themselves, they start to kind of eat away at it. And so instead I say, you should ask for support. And I had to do this when I decided to have Maristella because a lot of people did not think it was a great idea. And so instead, but I already knew this concept, right? Of permission versus support. And so I would ask for support. And the way you do that is say, Hey, I'm doing this thing. I would love your support. But if you're not comfortable with that, that's totally okay. Because their decision about whether or not to support you or your idea is not going to change your decision about whether to do it. That's right. Their their decision is their problem. And I love yeah. the idea of, of the giving permission because, you know, I, I grew up with a lot of things, a real small town and everybody did the same thing the same way. And that was what was expected. And I had, as I went away to college and moved away from the town, I still had a problem giving myself permission to live differently yeah. than I did back in the small town because that's what I'd always yeah. done. So I, I dealt with that by doing a lot of writing. If, if something came up for me, I'd go, well, why am I thinking this way? Or can I yeah. give myself permission for this? Or why would I consider not giving myself permission? And yeah. it, that just really helped me a lot to explore things. Because one thing that I found is if I just think about it, it'll bounce around in my head with that little monkey mind forever. But if I write yeah. it down, then the, the answers can come through that writing. Oh my goodness, Emily. It's like, you're just exploring my framework here. Because that's, <laughs> the a. that's the A part is the attend your own party is that we are all experiencing our life through the filter of our thoughts. Mm-hmm. And when we realize that, then we realize like there's a, Brooke Castillo has this mo- very similar model in her coaching where there's a thing that happens And then we have a thought about it. And then our thought triggers our feelings, not the other way around. And so when something happens and we have a thought about it, once we realize that that's how we're experiencing something, we can just start to question our thoughts, right? Like, and you can, you know, that you're stuck up in your thoughts when you say things like, I always, I never, where it's like very definitive, I'm never going to meet anyone that I love again. I always get hurt. Well, those are just your thoughts and and it's your mind tricking you. And you can tell the difference between your thoughts and what's happening in the present moment by getting grounded back in your body. 
you do it by writing, mm-hmm. but getting grounded back in your body because your body can only ever be in the present moment. That's and right. so I have a meditation that I offer people and, and they, you can download it for free. It's at just one because if it has the word damn in it, it's probably <laughs> mine. And it gets you grounded back in your body. And I just heard this um, podcast from Glennon Doyle recently where she talks about when she's up in anxiety, she goes from what if to what is. And I love it. I have to give her credit every time, but man, I talk about it a lot now because we're up in our heads of, well, what if this happens? What if, what if I run out of money? What if my business fails? What if I lose someone else? What if I never meet anyone? And it's like, whoa, like you said, it just bounces. Mm -hmm. But if instead you say, okay, what is, right? I am sitting in a chair. My children are safely screaming in the basement. (laughs) My, (laughs) my, you know, I, my business is thriving. I have food, like what is, and that just gets you out of that spinning. And if you find yourself spinning again, you just get backgrounded in your body and you do some more like, Oh, what is right. I am holding a water bottle. Like, and that will help you start to differentiate between thoughts and reality. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. You know, I just looked at the clock. I've been enjoying this very much. And I know that you have have a child to to get somewhere. So I know when I'm hearing my kids give me, I want to be like, oh, by the way, there is someone with them. (laughs) They're not just just outside in the hallway. There is someone watching them. They're just very loud today. (laughs) Joyful noise. They they are very joyfully noisy a lot of the time. (laughs) But I would much rather have happy children than cranky pants all day. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. This has just been been wonderful. What what would you like to leave people with? Do you want them to, I I am going to put in the show notes, your, your different, your website and your social media and that sort of thing. But but what was, what's one last thing that you'd like to say? Well, okay. So yeah, people can, the hub for what I do is at takethedamntrip.com right? You can find out about my speaking. You can join the community. I'm working on my book and that's where you will find out about that. And and I wanted to say about the book where you were talking about this could help other people. I started writing my book and realized, oh, this isn't just about grief. Mm -hmm. It isn't just about losing Mark. It is about living life fully. And I think that's what I would kind of like to leave your audience with, which is that because people will say, how do you plan for these things? How do you plan to lose your home or your husband or your whatever? And I say, you don't, right? You don't, you shouldn't catastrophize. You should know that whatever happens, you will, you've gotten through everything hard, every hard thing you've ever gotten through. So what makes you think you won't be able to get through the next? Um, so you will never lose your resilience or your creativity. And so what I tell people is we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen to ourselves, to the people that we love, to our jobs, to anything. We never know day to day what's going to be happening. That is not a reason to live scared, but it is a reason to live fully. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I, I, I love the message that you are getting into the world. Like I said, I think it's so important and absolutely, if I can support anybody in your community, you know, find me at takethedamntrip.com or Bevan Farrand. And yeah, I, like I said, anything I can do to keep sharing the fact that we don't have to only be grief. 
That's that's so true. There, there's so much more to life. It, it, it can seem for a while like grief is all there is, but when when you can that light starts filtering through and you can start to breathe and start to smile, then that just kind of uh, opens up the the door for everything else. And and yeah. you can still grieve. Nobody's telling you not to grieve. Yeah, you can exhale when you didn't know you were holding your breath. That's right. Oh, I love that. That's a beautiful way to say it. Wow. Well, thank you so much. I just enjoy talking to you and I'm sure that the listeners are going to enjoy every moment of this and probably listen to it more than once. So (laughs) thank you for having me. I so appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure for sure. And I will see my listeners next week. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.